Before I forget again, like I have for many weeks, um, if you would like to contact me, leave a message, uh, comments, complaints, uh, suggestions, whatever it may be, uh, there's a Facebook page. It's As Is Ministries. Okay, As Is Ministries. So you can go to that and you can leave me a message and let me know um, if the Lord's working in your life through anything that I'm doing, that'd be a real praise. But I'll leave that up to you. Also, uh, the scripture references that I use uh, mainly come from the NIV Bible. And if I'm going to do something different, I'll let you know. Otherwise, assume that it's NIV. So, Thanksgiving is just a few days away. It's a great time to tell the Lord thank you for all that he has done, is doing, and will do in the future. Uh, but I have no idea what that means to you. Everything may be going great for you. All the bills paid, lots of food, you're in good health, you know, your family's doing great. Or your situation may be just the opposite. So irregardless... You have some things to be thankful for, no doubt about it. Some people dealing with difficulties let the whole world know. Oh, poor me. Oh, I've just got it so bad. You've got it good, and I've got it bad. And those are the people that you don't ask, hey, how you doing? Unless you have time. Uh, while others going through worse things, act as though nothing is happening. May I make a suggestion? Okay, I will anyway. Uh, Johnson Oakman Jr. wrote a song that may help you become thankful. Here's one line from that song. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. No matter what is happening in our lives, there's always, always, always something to be thankful for. Just try it. Okay? Happy Thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks for who you are, that, Lord, you are the great God that's the provider of everything that we have, and, Lord, help us to remember that. Sometimes it's easy to, to get down when we look at others, when, Lord, we should be looking at you. So, Father, uh, let us take the time, not just because it's November, not just because it's Thanksgiving week or day, but, Lord, every day to give you thanks. And so, Father, as we look at your word, Father, help us to see what you have for us today. So open our, our minds, our ears, our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me start out with our scripture. It's Luke twenty two fourteen to 20. Okay, this is after... Jesus had sent out the apostles to get everything ready for the Passover feast. Okay. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you for before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I will tell you I will not drink from it again 
from the fruit of the spirit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the cup and after the dinner, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant, my blood, which is poured out for you. So let me share a little bit of history uh, surrounding communion, I guess. Uh, It's simple but sacred. And we call it the Lord's Supper sometimes, but it has a lot of other names as well. Um, Many people simply call it the Lord's Supper. (coughs) Excuse me. We do this because Jesus, our Lord, our God and King, gave us this meal. Many followers of Christ also call this meal communion because it is a celebration that they commune with the Lord and with each other, united in love, faith, and hope in Christ and all of God's promises. Many Christians also call the meal the Eucharist, which basically means thanksgiving. When Jesus celebrated this meal with his disciples, he gave thanks to God for it. And ever since then, the church has given thanks to God for providing this meal. Early Christians had another name for it as well, calling it the love feast or agape feast. In some cases, this may have included a larger fellowship meal along with a celebration of the Lord's Supper. Why did they call it this? Because it showed that Jesus loved his followers so much that he was willing to die to defeat sin and death for them. Well, we know that the Passover feast was nothing new to the apostles. Okay, It was something that they had participated in for as long as they were alive. And so they, they knew what to expect. And they knew the, the, the traditional words that Jesus would say. Or so they thought. When Jesus started out, as, as he did, he, these guys had to be looking at each other and say, what is he talking about? What's going on? This isn't the Passover feast. You know, we know it frontwards and backwards, and none of this sounds like any of it. So it was not by accident that what we refer to as communion began at Passover. So there's so many connections between the two. Uh, Exodus chapter 12 points those out. Okay, the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years, and God wanted them to be able to leave, and he was the only one that could make it happen. And it was accomplished through the plagues that he sent. And each one, even though they were devastating, they were not successful until the last one. That is referred to as Passover. In Exodus 12, Moses is given the instructions by the Lord. First of all, slaughter an unblemished male goat or sheep at twilight. Share with neighbors if needed and roast it with bitter herbs and it must all be eaten. The second, take some of the blood from the sheep or the goat that you slaughtered 
and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frame where the lamb was eaten. And to be dressed, ready to go, have your shirt tucked in and your shoes on and ready to go. And do it all in haste. Okay, and then the last thing he said was, eat this feast every year. And it's done to this day. Now, this is also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Why? Well, because there was no time for yeast. So, what is a connection? You can see that there's many between Passover and Communion. The Lord told them to use only an unblemished lamb or goat or a perfect lamb. John tells us in chapter 1 about John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, baptizing at the Jordan River. This is what John had to say in John 1, 29 and 30. The next day, John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man comes after me that has surpassed me because he was before me, the Lamb of God. Jesus was the Lamb of God, and we know that he was, because he had to be perfect in order to be that sacrifice. So this Lamb came into the world to be the sacrifice that we need, to give his blood so that we would be passed over. So, who's able to take part in communion? I think Luke gives us some insight in uh, chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. And this is what's referred to as a great banquet. Okay? In verse 15, we read this. When one of those at the table with Jesus heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Now, I'll give you my version of this parable. Okay, this guy was having a big party, and he invited many of his friends and relatives and uh, associates and all to this party he was going to have. And when the servants went to get him, they all had excuses. You know, well, I just bought some land and... You know, I got to check it out and make sure, you know, it's the size that um, the seller told me that it was and, you know, look and see if I got to do a lot of work on it. And the next one said, well, I just bought some oxen and I know I want to try them out. Now, to me, that's like buying a used car. Okay, you try it out before you buy it. So it was just an excuse. And one man said, well, hey, I just got married. Okay, and so I I can't go, you know, I mean, me and my new wife and, and all, and it's just, you know, tradition to, to stay home with her. So the man that was giving the party, he got mad, and he told the servant, get the poor and the lame and the blind, the disabled, and the servant did it, and there was still room. And the man said, get anyone else that you can find. I want this place full of people. So who is invited to the table of the Lord? Anyone, everyone. 
who is going to show up? Those that have no excuse. In our time, in our setting, some people say, well, you know, I'm too young, I'm too rich, I'm too healthy. You know, I, I really had a bad church experience and, you know, I just really don't want any of this Jesus stuff. And some people will say, well, you know, when I was a kid, you know, if the door of the church was open, my family was there. You know, and I was expected to be in Sunday school and youth group and all and go to camp for most of the summer and, and all. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just really not interested. One very good thing to know, the table will always be open when excuses end. Those attending had to feel that they weren't worthy. And they weren't, and neither are we. The book of Revelation speaks at different times about a wedding feast. Okay, this is Revelation 19, verses 7 to 9. It says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the lamb, lambs come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, blessed, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true worshipers of God. Okay, so this is after the, the rapture, and all those in heaven could be counted as true worshipers. <clears throat> so they were all invited to the wedding feast that the angel spoke of. Well, Jesus had another conversation concerning the blood and the flesh. And this is what we find in John 6. Okay, Jesus, he's in Capernaum, and he's confronted by some who were part of the 5,000 that had just gotten a free meal, and they wanted more. Then Jesus declared, this is verse 35, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then verse 37, all those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And in verses 41 and 42, the Jews start complaining because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And they, they said, yeah, hey, we know this guy. I mean, we know his parents and the rest of his family. And, you know, how can he say he's the bread of life? Verses 51 and 52, they really got upset at what Jesus said. Because he said, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Their response? <laughs> then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? I have to admit, you know, that's a pretty bold statement. And, you know, unless you were really on board with Jesus, you'd say, yeah, I don't know about this eating his flesh and drinking his blood stuff. Okay, then Jesus ends with even more boldness in verses 53 to 58. He says, 
Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of my of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Okay, so verses 16-61, I find kind of interesting. Okay, it says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Where his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Now, I can understand that some would be questioning. And remember when he says disciples, He's not speaking about the twelve because there were many that followed him from place to place and rather loosely, uh, kind of like today. Okay, this passage was designed, in my mind, to separate the men from the boys or the real believers from those who were not. They were just the ones that showed up and was just in awe of the things that they heard Jesus say and the healings that they saw him do. And so they just wanted to be there and be a part of that. But they didn't really believe. The ones who were questioning this, therefore the miracles, they were there for food. And it still happens today. It is not communion that does the separating even though it should, because many do not understand what's happening. I had one man on the way out of church one Sunday when we had celebrated communion, and he said, wow, that bread is really good. I wonder where you got that. I'm thinking, really? You know, you, I, I, I just don't know. You know, sometimes pastors need to do a better job of explaining communion, what it is and what it is not. Paul is writing to the Romans, probably from Corinth, and he's been writing to them about those who are righteous or not. So this is Romans 3, beginning in verse 9, or excuse me, yeah, verse 9, I'm sorry. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. That can be said about the church today in many aspects. You know, we worship at the largest campus of uh, Life Church in Oklahoma City. There's thousands there every weekend. Now, I don't want to judge, but you have to wonder how many are following what they're hearing. Okay, how many are listening to that and say, wow, 
the message really speaks to me and I need to stop doing this or start doing that. And so I need to be paying attention. Now, I know there's sometimes when I'm not completely plugged in too. I mean, I hear the message and, you know, I'm taking notes and all, and then I think, yeah, I'm really not sure what it is that the Lord is expecting me to get out of this. So not just the Romans fall short. Now, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and they seem to be struggling about how to be doing the Lord's Supper. This is 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 14. He addresses this, the problems that they're having. Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Is it not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we, who are many, are one body, for we all share the one loaf. You know, Paul was continually trying to get the believers to understand that God didn't care where they came from. He didn't care if you were a converted Jew or if you were a Gentile. And we shouldn't either. All that matters is for us to accept his son as Savior. And anybody can do that. Like Paul wrote in Colossians 3.11, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. True today, just as well. If we are given the chance to choose who should be allowed at the Lord's table, we'd have to count ourselves as those that shouldn't be permitted to share in the body and blood of Christ. Well, Paul really comes down on the Corinthians. In chapter 11, he's pointing out their misunderstanding of the Lord's Supper, or maybe just not really caring. So in chapter 11, verses 20, and 20, to, 20 to 22, So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another person gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Now, hopefully we go to the Lord's, when we go to the Lord's table, we're lifting him up, thanking him for his sacrifice. You know, there was a woman that came to church for quite a while and she would never come up for communion. And so, you know, I spoke to her about it and she said, you know, I just, I'm just unworthy. And I said, hey, so am I. So is everybody else that's in the room. Okay, nobody here is worthy, but we're invited even though we are unworthy. There's a song, contemporary Christian song by Zach Williams that I want to share part of that with you. It says, Hear the voice of love that's calling. 
there's a chair that waits for you and a friend who understands everything you're going through. When you keep standing at a distance in the shadow of your shame, there's a light of hope that's shining. Won't you come and take your place and bring it all to the table? There's nothing he ain't seen before. For all your fear, all your sorrow, and your sadness, there's a Savior, and he calls, bring it all to the table. He can see the weight you're carrying, the fears that hold your heart. But through the cross, you've been forgiven. You're accepted as you are. So bring it all to the table. There's nothing he ain't seen before. For all your trials and your wearies, worries and your burdens, there's a Savior and he calls. Bring it all to the table. You can bring it all and come and take your place. There's no one who's turned away. All you sinners, all you saints, come right in and find your grace. There's a Savior, and he calls, bring it all to the table. What a, a true, true song, the words of that song. You know, we're all invited to the table, okay? Because if only the, the worthy were to take part in communion, we wouldn't be having communion. Hey, because there's no pastor that's worthy of uh, preparing the elements. There's no people that are worthy to take part in communion. So don't let your unworthiness in your mind keep you back because God wants you to bring it all to the table. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for those that know you and love you and serve you. And Lord, I just lift them up to you and Father, help them to maybe in some ways sometimes get back on track. And Lord, I pray that everyone will really think about what communion is or the Eucharist or love feast or whatever we want to call it. That, Lord, it's a, it's a tragic thing because Jesus died for us and his blood was shed for us. But it's a celebration because we know the other side of the story. And so, Father, help us to not forget it. And, Lord, I lift up anyone that maybe doesn't know you, anyone that maybe uh, feels that they're not worthy, and, Lord, that they uh, don't have a relationship with you. And, the Father, now is when they need to begin that relationship. You know, now Thanksgiving in a few days, Lord, let them know that they need to be thankful for what Jesus did for them and the difference that he's made in their lives and the amazing difference that he can make in their life when that relationship begins. Father, let them know that, you know, everybody needs to be forgiven because everybody's been a sinner. And Lord, that you uh, forgive all that we've done and you forgive all that we're going to do. So Father, help us to know that we can come to you. And Lord, let us pray like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need a Savior. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus that came to die on the cross for me. And thank you in three days you rose from the dead, that he has new life, and that we have the promise of that new life as well. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.